This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we review and preview the big market stories with an Oanda Senior Market Analyst. And this week is Craig Earlham from London. And very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? Really good, mate. Best part of the week, isn't it? Friday, podcast time. Happy days. Approaching the middle of August, sort of, and uh, everybody's... It's a second. Uh, Second. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to my holiday already, you see. I can tell. Um, Your reaction first to the latest non-farm payroll figures, which saw a rise to 164,000. That is in line with expectations. Strong numbers, do you think, in the light of this week's cut in interest rates. Is it possible that they'll mean that the Fed will need to keep a a watchful eye on whether that data justifies more easing or not? Well, this has been the interesting thing all along. This is the most inline jobs report I think I've ever seen. Unemployment bang in line, average hourly earnings bang in line, and literally the non-farm payrolls figure, 164,000, Bang in line with uh, with forecast. They've got to get it right occasionally, haven't they? They do. I mean, once (laughs) in eight years, nine years, ten years. I mean, they had to get it right at some point. I mean, this is what's made the job of the Fed so difficult is on the one hand, you've got a trade war, you've got slowing global growth, pockets of the economy which are showing weakness, the housing market, etc. You've got enormous pressures coming from the president telling you that inflation's falling, that you have to be causing interest rates, trying to interfere as much as possible, effectively trying to make his own job as easy as possible. And yet you look at the other data and you're saying, well, why? Earnings are okay. Company earnings are okay. The the labor market's okay. Retail sales are okay. The consumer's clearly in a good position. These traditional indicators do not give me the same red flags that people are saying exist. And yes, I understand the basis for needing to be preemptive because of the way the global economy is moving and the direction of travel we're heading in. But the president has his hands on all the levers. If the economy is going to take a turn for the worse, he can ease up on the trade war. Although, of course, as we've seen um, this week, the, quite the opposite has happened. As you say, there are wider economic concerns to consider. You know, inflation uh, hovering below target, declines in business investment, suggesting that the cracks caused by the US-China trade war, which we'll, of course, uh, talk about in more depth uh, a little bit later, and that, that is starting to show. But the US economy is enjoying an almost unprecedented growth streak with a, a tight labour market, low unemployment, rallying equity markets, I mean, at least for now. But it is very, very confusing, don't you think? I mean, so for the, all those people listening out there, it's a guessing game, and it always was a guessing game, but more so than ever. This is what begs the question, why did the Fed cut interest rates for the first time since 2008 last week? There was so much talk about it, they almost felt compelled to. Well, this is the thing. So you've got the people who seem to have ignored the last 12 months and have decided he's finally given in to the pressure coming from the White House. Were we just waiting for when they eventually cut interest rates and say that, oh, finally, you've now bowed to the pressure? No, of course it's not that. It's the markets that really pressured him. The markets priced in a 100% chance that there was going to be a rate cut at this meeting. They priced in there's going to be two more after that, uh, but for the end of the year. They were pricing in a high enough probability that the rate could actually be 50 basis points. And granted, the Fed could have done more if they wanted to to pair back these 
these expectations. But I do think the Fed, for all the research and everything they carried out, for all the size of the teams they have, for all the expertise which they also currently have themselves, I do think there is, is an element if they do look at the markets and they do respect the markets and they say, well, granted, we may see that a lot of these economic indicators are strong, but everyone in the markets can't possibly be wrong. And if they're inverting the yield curve and they're saying effectively that they see the potential for an increased potential for a recession down the road, should we be ignoring this just out of stubbornness because we think we're right? And if we can ease some of the pressure in the markets, remove the inversion in the yield curve, keep equity markets high, not be the causes of a crash, but actually facilitate the ongoing growth in the economy, then isn't that part of our job also? And I think given the low interest inflation environment right now, that is exactly what they have done. And you can't ignore the fact that central banks around the world are very much doing the same. You can't ignore the fact economies around the world are showing signs of weakness, and the US is one of them. And in the meantime, Craig, European stock markets today fell after that surprise decision by Donald Trump to impose new tariffs. $300 billion of Chinese imports, those tariffs, FTSE and indexes in France and Germany, all falling by more than uh, 2% each. And that uh, decision from the president coming after the latest round of bilateral talks, which show little sign of a breakthrough. Fascinating, really, situation at the moment. Considering it's August, there is plenty going on. Well, as always with this uh, with this situation, there's so much you can say because there's so many connotations, there's so many uh, knock-on uh, effects that it affects so many different markets in so many different countries, uh, and, and you're always looking for the ulterior motive of why these actions are being taken. Uh, we've been taught, we've been hearing so much about how these trade negotiations have been hitting their stumbling blocks. That is still optimism. There is still a lot of positivity coming from the White House. We were. In, in a way, hopeful that we were going to see some positive talks this week, although expectations were low. But I don't think anyone expected the talks in Shanghai this week to actually result so quickly in such a knee-jerk way uh, with tariffs of 10% on the final $300 billion. It seems a very extreme response, which suggests that either A, these talks have gone horribly, and the president feels like the only way to get them back on track is to continue to apply maximum pressure because they've gone so off course and there's no way of rescuing them without them, or B, B, is there another ulterior motive? It has been speculated today that the president was so frustrated in many ways with the Fed's inability to do exactly how he, what he wished in cutting interest rates more, or even signalling that it was going to cut interest rates more in the future, that he's effectively uh, imposed these tariffs now in order to apply maximum pressure to China, but also the Fed to cut interest rates again in September. Markets are now pricing in close to 100% chance that we're now going to see another interest rate cut in September. And the reason why this speculation has arrived is because the Fed really disappointed on Wednesday, not with their interest rate cuts, not necessarily uh, with a lot of the comments which he came out with. He did suggest that this was not going to be the only cut. It's because how he phrased the cut, he phrased it as a mid-cycle adjustment. That is not the easing path that people wanted to hear. People were very disappointed. Trump was clearly furious on Twitter. And there is a lot of speculation now that this decision that was made on these new tariffs was made with one eye on pressuring the Fed. OK, let's move away from the United States for a bit and talk about the UK. The first full week of Prime Minister Boris Johnson didn't end particularly well after the by-election loss, which means we now have a majority of par in Parliament of just one. And it's not a question of if there's going to be ele an election, but when. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a blow, although expected uh, for the Conservative Party, that they were going to lose that particular by-election. Um, it doesn't necessarily affect the Brexit vote, though, does it? Because you'll need more than a majority of one anyway if he wanted to get that through. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think I think it's more of a symbolic blow than it is anything more it, than well, that. It, mean, it means legislation going forward. If we ever do get this Brexit thing sorted out, the first hurdle sorted out in the short term, if he wants to pass legislation, it's impossible. But right? was he ever going to rely on Parliament to get a no-deal Brexit through? I don't think Boris Johnson would have a problem holding another election having delivered Brexit, especially if, deli- if he delivers Brexit with a deal, because then he is seen in a very positive light. He's seen as doing something that Theresa May couldn't do. And even Theresa May won an election. She may not have got a majority, but even Theresa May won won an election, even though she was coming from a point of significant weakness, having not been able to actually pass anything on Brexit. But what is interesting is, in his first two weeks as Prime Minister, nearly two weeks now, the pound's fallen 3% against the US dollar. Part of that is, of course, to do with what Powell did, but also it's a lot to do with the fact that we are seeing the the pound taking quite a hit. It was at 125 when he took over from Theresa May, around those levels, and it sunk as low as uh, 121, 120. This is a big drop when you consider nothing really is happening. It's all because of the no-deal Brexit PR offensive that his team has gone on, clearly being instructed to as well. We are planning for a no-deal Brexit. We will spend £2 billion or whatever it is on no-deal Brexit preparations. We're committed. We are leaving on the 31st. We've told the EU that we're leaving on the 31st regardless. They can either scrap the backstop or we will be out. These are very strong messages. Of course, he has to deliver these because this is what he's been telling Theresa May to do for the last two years. He had to deliver this message. He probably did think about what this knock-on effect it was going to have on the market. He probably doesn't mind so much in the near term. But at some times, the markets will pressure people in power to change their tactics slightly. We've seen it plenty of times in the past. This may all, all only turn out to be a small move in the long run, but this is going to give him an indication as to what we can expect post-Brexit. This is what makes that autumn statement that we discussed last week so important because they have to use that now to bring confidence back to say, even in the worst-case scenario, this economy is going to have a buffer and that buffer is going to come from the government. Another bad week for the pound, though, uh, Craig, hitting uh, two-plus years' uh, lows really painful for people going abroad for their summer holidays unless you've booked a a, a package holiday uh, this year Um, people are really starting to feel it in their wallets aren't they yeah thankfully uh, average earnings are still rising at a quite impressive rate around three and a half percent the inflation side of things is not going to be too much of a hindrance now although we are expecting that to jump high we saw from the bank of england they forecast slightly higher inflation now over the next couple of years and i'm sure that's got a lot to do with that currency decline of course, if you're going on holiday now, you may feel the pinch a bit. But I always say these kind of moves, you are you are a little bit worse off. But I don't think when you're talking about holiday spends, it's going to be noticeably so unless you're booking the entire package holiday last minute as well. This is just one of the consequences that we've got to accept from Brexit. If you think this is bad, we're at 121 now. We're above 150 prior to the referendum. Mm-hmm. So the, the, we are obviously worse off as a result from a purely currency perspective. But as, as, as I've said many times before, and this has nothing to do with views on Brexit, people didn't vote on Brexit because they thought that we were going to be economically better off in the near term. They didn't vote for it because they were worried about the pound or worried about what their holidays were going to look like. Maybe some people didn't take all of this into consideration. But it was a political vote and we, we just now have to accept the consequences of it. Well, political, emotional, who knows? Many, it's, many things. It's ma- Many uh, reasons. There's, there's no point in trying to simplify it. No, we've been there uh, and we've had many, many discussions about this over the last three years already. Uh, next week, we've got the latest GDP figures. What are we expecting there? Um, we're actually expecting to find out that the UK economy didn't grow in the second quarter. The risk here is that there could now, with revisions, be a recession. We're not talking a deep recession, so let's not. we're not playing a scaremongering card here, but when you see that level 
level of inventory building ahead of the 31st of March, that was always going to have a negative knock-on effect for the following quarter. Just in case we were going to see no deal, a lot of companies front-loaded that spending, so it flattered the first quarter number, and then that takes it off the second quarter. The question is just how bad is it going to be? So like I say, flat growth that we're, foreca- that we're seeing forecasted for the quarter. Don't be surprised if that disappoints and we're talking about a negative number here. I'm pretty much flat as well on the month on month. It's not ideal, but what we need to now see is the economy bounce back. One thing that may help that is potentially, again, more stockpiling because the deadline's been moved back till the end of October. We may see that stockpiling starting again because no deal Brexit now is a much greater possibility than it was before. So maybe that will help us avoid a recession. But then you get this really volatile moves in the growth where you're seeing strong growth, sharp contraction, strong growth, sharp contraction. But this is the world we live in right now. We're not in a regular world. In other news next week, we've got some central banks reporting the RBA, the RBNZ, some earnings as well. We saw some earnings this week in addition to what we'd had earnings season in previous weeks. Did we learn anything in particular? No, it was very much consistent. The, the earnings are still in the US beating expectations, but we're, uh, we're still uh, on course for an earnings recession. We're very much most of the way through it now as well. So a lot of the companies which are seeing reporting next week are not going to be the knockout names. We're not talking about the Amazons, Apples. I Goldman think the people Sachs of HSBC of will be very upset with that. Very, on, very big bank, that on, one. On, on the European front, there are a few big names. Yeah. I, I, I was talking more US. In the Euro, in Europe, we do tend to go on a little later. We start a little later and we carry yeah. on a little bit later. So we've got HSBC, WPP, Glencore. Um, so there's still, there's still big names, still a mm-hmm. lot to be learned from these. But we are very much deep into earnings season um, as it stands. And as you referenced, there are two central bank meetings next week, which are going to be probably the, the, the highlights of the week, assuming that we don't get any more geopolitical flare-ups. And I'm sure Trump will be back on the offensive, which always provides a bit of entertainment and market instability. But the two things that we do know are coming are the RBA and RBNZ meetings. These are actually quite interesting. Of course, they're less so from a UK perspective, because by the time you wake up in the morning, they have happened but the RBA has actually cut interest rates at each of the last two meetings there was a lot of speculation at one point that they may do it three meetings in a row just to really highlight how difficult the economy is there right now they're already at record lows they're expecting now to hold off but we're still pricing in one for September so we're not waiting too long for them to actually cut interest rates again and again another one next year and already there is talk of quantitative easing there which they've never experimented with the RBNZ didn't uh, uh cutting straight at the last meeting but they are expected to cut in straight at this meeting again they are closely linked uh, these two economies and with Australia in particular it's close links to China it's not a surprise they're now on such an aggressive cutting cycle they were in some ways buffered uh, after the financial crisis by the enormous stimulus that China did pump uh, and now because China is slowing and that we're seeing less stimulus on that front it is taking its toll on the Australian economy as well and it seems like that central bank is going to be very active in the quarters to come. Europe's been a bit of a mixed bag. It's actually been probably a little bit disappointing but again, we look at the rest of the data which we're seeing from Europe. It's all been quite disappointing so there's nothing really too much too surprising there i spoke to you at the start of the show if there was ever a perfect uh, song to uh, sum up the, the the month ahead it is very much schools out for summer because we've had a really busy couple of weeks and i feel that like the next month could be very very quiet well if we didn't have to pay him royalties we would have played alice cooper's <laughs> record but i'm afraid it would, we have, can't. It would have really led us in quite yeah, nicely yeah. It, it would indeed craig enjoy the weekend and speak to you again next time thank you very much
was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.